0: Welcome to the season seven finale of FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. We made it, the season finale, our entrepreneurship season. I cannot believe it. It felt like it was just yesterday that we started out with Josh Peck and here we are ending up with a topic that I like a lot because not everybody is gonna work in a startup, right? Some of us work in big companies, some of us have leadership roles, maybe we're the CEO, but that doesn't mean that you sort of hang up the entrepreneurial thinking in the closet and never go and try it on because you need that stuff to build something amazing. And so I hate the term entrepreneur. that is, it just sounds like some, some kind of corporate stuff. I was going to say a naughty word there, but I won't. But I can't think of a better word. Maybe you have one if you do. Shoot it to me. You know, Find me on Let's Connect at com. But in the absence of that, what I do have is a guest who knows how to think this way. His name is Jim Weber. He is the CEO of Brooks Running Company, and he is the author of the new book, Running With Purpose, How Brooks Outpaced Goliath Competitors to Lead the Pack. Now, Jim's a legend, total legend. He joined Brooks running company as the CEO in 2001. He is credited for turning around the Seattle-based company. And he did so by focusing solely, get that, solely, Ha <laughs> it's terrible, on delivering personally inspiring products and experiences that keep people running. The business and brand success caught the attention of Warren Buffett, who declared Brooks a standalone Berkshire Hathaway Inc. subsidiary in 2012. So that's no joke. And so you're going to learn a lot in this episode because Jim is very thoughtful. He's going to talk about the power of focus. The focus on the the business of running is where all his success came from. All of his competitors, you know, the Nikes and Adidas of the world, they're all over the place. Jim was like, nope, we're going to focus on running. And it worked out. We're going to talk about how during the pandemic when there basically nobody was running, right, all of their sales just cratered, how he was creative to collect data to figure out where the market was going. So super interesting story there. We're going to talk about what it's like to report to Warren Buffett and what Jim learned from Buffett, who's just such an awesome guy and a legend as well. We're going to talk about how Jim's love of running impacted his success as a CEO of Brooks. But I'm also going to call him out because he wrote in his book that he had only taken two vacations when he got to the age of 55. And so I want I to understand that because that is not, we don't do that. FOMO sapiens, we take our vacations. And finally, we're going to learn from his experience fighting cancer to see what he learned about building his legacy. Now, given that the success of Brooks is based on focus, which is the opposite of FOMO, My small ask for this week is to ask you to go check out my book if you haven't done so. It's called "Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice. You can get it at any bookseller. You can get it online. You can get the audio book if you like the sound of my voice, which I hope you do. So go check it out. I promise you will get the kind of thinking around focus that companies like Brooks and leaders like Jim use every day. All right. And now onto the interview. And as you know, I like to start every interview with the same question. And that question is this. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today,
1: uh, Patrick? That is a big question, but um, you know I believe, and and I've just come to know this over my decades of experience now, that we're all creatures of our experience. And I had some experiences early in my career at Pillsbury and and working in various different businesses, private equity. By the time I got to Brooks in April two thousand one, I made the decision that I was going to, you know, sort of sink in and stay focused and not just realize value in this company and the turnaround that we had at Brooks in 2001, but stay and, and be get on the path to build a brand to really create value. And, and I put on my wall, uh, one of my favorite quotes quotes by Benjamin Disraeli, that the secret to success is constancy of purpose. And I put that on my whiteboard in 2001, because mostly to keep myself focused, you know, building a brand takes years, maybe decades. And I didn't want to, you know, kind of be there for three months and then go another deal. So that decision in 2001 uh, first was personal for me. But 21 years later, I'm still at Brooks. I think I have the best job in business. We're building a brand with a fantastic team of people. And uh, and but that decision that I really made when I when I sat in this chair at Brooks in 2001 was, was to stay focused and build a brand was, was is the reason I'm here. And the reason I, I was able to write a book about this great story.
0: And it is a brand. so I was, I was prepping Jim for, for this because I am our house. We all have Brooks. And so, and I didn't always, by the way, I, I was an ASICS runner before, but I have a very wide foot. Everybody, maybe that's an overshare and Brooks, Caters to me. But my mom told me the story, and this happened a year ago, but she kept on, she's told me the story many times. And so I did want to share it with you, which kind of, for those of you maybe haven't interacted with Brooks, kind of tells you a little bit about what this company is about. Because my mom got her addiction uh, walkers, which she really liked for Christmas. And for some reason or another, there was a problem with the shoe and it rubbed off in the inside. And so she wrote an email to the company, and the company got right back to her, Victoria. And basically they said, please, you know, send us proof of purchase, send us a picture. And then they just, you know, she was like, do you want to, you know, basically she was wondering what they would do. They just sent her a pair of shoes and not only that, but just were very responsive, like same day. And so, you know, when when does that happen anymore? Like you, you could like, you know, fall out of an Uber, get pushed out by the driver and they won't even text you back. So that kind of stuff is why people love these products. And so, you know, it it just tells you like, I, I don't know, Jim, do you hear those stories every day? Like what, what do you hear? What do you think when I tell you that story?
1: Patrick, I don't hear those stories every day, but we love when we hear those stories because here's, you know, what makes us tick is, is we're building gear for runners based on their needs. And mm-hmm. runners are super discerning. You know, at mile 20, you know if that shoe's working for you. And so mm-hmm. that proves it out at mile three. And so we, we are so focused on building Fantastic performance products for individual people's needs. And we're all different. Plus, people have a relationship with their feet, whether it's pain or comfort. And so our entire product line is built around the biomechanics of human motion. And we wouldn't exist if everybody was the same and, you know, people didn't, you know, experience discomfort or injury or what have you. So we love to hear these stories. And, you know, we're, we're excited at Brooks. We just turned the $1 billion revenue milestone last year as a brand. But I have to say, Patrick, I love these stories because we really feel like we built this brand a pair of, feet of the time. You know, it's that trust that people have in our products that, you know, I think the battle in our industry isn't to sell a shoe. It's to get the second pair that someone might buy because they had such a good experience with the first. So thank you. I love that story from your mom. Thank you, Sonia McGinnis. All right, so you just
0: kind of teed me up perfectly because you talked about running. And you know what, I'm looking at you now right now in a video and it says run happy behind you. And And one thing that I think is really interesting because companies can try to be all things to all people and have the FOMO and we see this all the time. It's like they're in every business. Now you, when you kind of came into this business, like the focus wasn't there in the same way as it is now. You really have chosen a lane. And I imagine, you know, That focus helps. But at the same time, a lot of people are like, well, why don't you make, you know, casual stuff and all this other, you know, sort of like be be Adidas or be Nike and all these other folks that you compete with. So tell us first, I just want to start there with the focus. Like, how did you figure that out? And how do you how do you
1: stay true to that? Great question, Patrick. And I'm, you know, I started off pretty humble because, you know, my career just didn't end up end up at a big platform dominant company the one that that absolutely dominates its industry, maybe it has network effects and, and all of these other elements. And we see that so much in the technology side here in Seattle. In our backyard is Amazon and Microsoft. Um, so, you know, I just, I didn't, my career didn't take me down that path. So guess what? If you're not the number one brand, you better have a niche. You better have a reason for being and a focus. And and in today's world and, you know, with everything that's happening in our in our connected world, you know, networks, network effects are real. And and so if you're not, if you don't own the pipes, you know, all the distribution channels and a closed ecosystem and, and be able to make a business off of that. And there's some great businesses that do that. You're a content company. So we're, we're, we are at Brooks, I see us as a content company for runners. And so we have to be the best at that. We have to get, you know, get the runner's confidence and choice and get get the purchase by the runner at every turn and then hopefully create loyalty. And, and you know, we get a flywheel off that if we take care of the customer. But I think, you know, we're in the we're in one of the biggest categories in all of sporting goods. You know, my biggest competitor is almost 50 billion in revenue. and they're -hmm. they're global and across all these different categories. So this focus is so exciting for Brooks because A, it was a path to survive early on, but now we're building a brand right in the sport and lifestyle of running exclusively and uniquely and trying to earn trust and authenticity from our customer. And uh, I love that game, that's really fun. And we compete against all the best companies in sporting goods and outdoor, all the best brands, Everybody that can make a shoe is almost making a running shoe, but because of our focus, Patrick, um, we're having, we're we're competing well, and um, and as far as we can see, running is a over a twenty billion dollar category globally. There's lots of room to grow. So I'm a huge fan. Uh, if you're not the big platform competitor, to 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 create a niche and an obsession on a customer focus. And we picked maybe the best category in all of sporting goods and outdoor because running is so big. FOMO. Tell me if this
0: sounds familiar. Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day are taking a week. You don't have one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers: 370251. one. Thirty-seven thousand. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. Happy birthday. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close the books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs. Those are key performance indicators in one efficient system. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know the show is all about making better decisions. And with this product, you can make better decisions because you have all the information you need right in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com FOMO. That's netsuite.com FOMO to get your own KPI checklist because you know what? KPIs are better than ice cream. netsuite.com FOMO. FOMO. You did something really interesting that I read about as I was researching you. Uh, it had to do with the pandemic. When the pandemic hit, Nobody was running. In fact, I was the only one I and I was the guy running in New York. I would run ten mile runs because it was the only way that I could not freak out all the time. So I had my Brooke shoes on and I was I remember coming through Times Square. And there was middle of the day and there, I was in the middle of the road running and people thought I was crazy. Right. And for you, I know, like it's like probably, you know, I read that your your sales cratered and that you actually went out and got a lot of data to try to figure out, like, where is the world going? So Tell us about how you did that, because to me, what's so cool about that is you guys acted like a startup I mean, you didn't just sit in a boardroom and pontificate like you got into the field. So t- tell us about that.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I think the va- the advantage we have with this focus is we've got clarity on who our customer is. And here's the key, because most of our customers are runners and walkers, mm-hmm. you know, activity and participation drive sales. And when we all of us lived through March 2020, when the pandemic literally shut everything down, including in Europe, every retail store in Europe where we have a good business from Italy to Scandinavia closed on a week. Mm-hmm. And same in the U.S. It rolled through. So. With that, we had a couple hundred million dollars of inventory on the water coming in. Apparel and footwear is very inventory driven. So crisis, just like so many people had and so many businesses had. But what we knew and we saw it in the great recession of 2008, 2009, that that there was a good chance that people would would take up running and walking and getting outside just to relieve stress and get fresh air. And and, and it looked like it could be covid friendly. We didn't know. So, you know, what we did, Patrick, is we all of our signals in our radar went dark. Nobody was in stores. We just couldn't see anything. So we started to create a new radar. And one thing we did, we have a field uh, marketing force we called gurus. They set up at parks at the same time every day um, during during those early weeks of, of the shutdown. And they counted runners on the same route. And guess what? We were seeing growth. And then, of course, the Stravas of the world were just seeing more exercise uh, events registered and runs and workouts and the like. And then we saw it happen on digital sales. And we have a good radar on retail sales, both in store and in digital. And, And within by week three or four, digital sales started to take off. So I think what happened with that, Patrick, is we act, right? When we see it, we're runner driven, right? So when we saw that, we turned back on our supply chain all of it. And, and we just put the pedal back down to the metal as they say. And I think we did that, um, with this clarity on the customer, maybe four to eight weeks before anyone else did and mm. gave us a big advantage. We were up 27% in, in the year 2020 versus 19. And we feel so fortunate because running made the cut, you know, running was COVID friendly and, and walking and hiking as well made the cut. So, you know, in that regard, we were we were kind of lucky, fortunate, you know, with this crazy virus that we've all experienced. But I think those signals allowed us we didn't we never cut our marketing spend or our digital advertising. We didn't lay off one person. We held until we could see demand. And then we jumped in. and, And, you know, I think that's how we've operated the business all the way along. And I think the key is that clarity, conviction, fortitude and courage, you know, because there's never clarity there's signals, but there's not facts, right? So I, I we're proud of that. I'm proud of my team that I work with here because uh, we stayed focused all the way through it. And we're still dealing with it today, right? COVID is still impacting our supply chain and our, and our main, we're all dealing with these these disruptions today. But I think our focus on the customer has allowed us to play through it.
0: Yeah, you know, this is like, it reminds me of like one of my favorite sayings, like hope is not a strategy. Right, You need to have a strategy and you need data to back it up. So that's exactly what you did. So, Jim, you've written this new book, which I thoroughly enjoyed, Running With Purpose, How Brooks Uppaced Goliath Competitors to Lead the Pack with a Ford by Warren Buffett, which is insane. And so for folks who don't know the story, this was a turnaround and you really get into This is really a memoir, but a lot of it is about how you turn this business around and have built this this, you know, really running focused company. Tell us, when you inherited Brooks, like what was the scene and then how did you respond?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I, I Brooks is the fourth business I've run. And for whatever reason, I ended up coming into turnarounds in every case. And so Brooks had been purchased by a private equity company two years previously. So they had a lot of debt, a lot mm. of borrowed money on their balance sheet. And then, you know, a good friend of mine, Helen Rocky was the CEO. She left for another opportunity. And there were two more successive CEOs um, before I took the job in April, and I was on the board. And so we were in such financial stress. The company was losing money. Um, It had just started to stumble and and made some mistakes on on expansion and a really sales-driven strategy. And so the banks were calling the loan, Patrick. I mean, I was on the board. We were having weekly calls with the board, um, and the bank was threatening not to fund uh, through several successive payrolls. So we would miss a payroll and the, the banks wanted more money to put in. So it was absolutely a financial crisis. And as a board member, we were looking at it and there was one meeting where the chairman looked down the table at me and said, Jim, you, you should be in here running this company. And we went to work and, and we saw, I saw this path. The only place we really were were profitable in our products was performance running product. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's not like Brooks had a lot of choices. We we did this pivot to performance running. It's the only thing that was really working. And so mm-hmm. we jettisoned half of our sales, over half of our products, and many of our biggest customers that were selling $30 shoes that we weren't making money on. And so, you know, we shrunk the business to focus and grow. And that year... You know, I'm super proud of it because we we made a half a million dollars that year um, and we paid down over 10 million dollars of debt. We really generated a lot of cash flow. But it, but, it, you know, the truth of the matter was uh, the company could have gone away. And and I give so much credit to our, our private equity owner because they wrote a check as in the darkest hour. And that's when I came in. You know, the company needed to be recapitalized and, and the banks needed to be reset. And they did it. And that's when I came in. So, so some, we had, we had time, we had a year or two uh, to figure this thing out um, because of that reset on the capital side with our, our owner. And that's when I came in, I was the fourth president in two years and it was, it was crazy, Patrick, there was a pool amongst the employees on how long I would last. Uh, <laughs> would, would I, would I, would I still be there? And, uh, and I, I mentioned uh, my focus on this time around, I wanted to be part of building a brand. I said to everybody, look, our private equity owner is going to sell their stake. But if we do this right and create opportunity in front of this brand, we're going to attract investors and we're not going to get sold. Companies with issues get sold. Companies with opportunities attract investors. And and that's exactly how we've thought about it ever since. and, And that's what we've been able to make happen.
0: Your, your story about the pool reminds me I once I was a board of a company and I went to one of our facilities that had some problems in overseas in the Philippines and and uh, there were on, it was Halloween and they made these like a fake graveyard with like these fake graves and the names on the graves were the five different people who had run the thing in the last two years. <laughs> Which I just was like, like Houston, we have a problem. So it's just this ridiculous. Now, one thing I I, I enjoyed reading about, because as a runner myself, you talk about your journey into running, and I was curious as I was reading this. Do you think that the fact that you are a runner, you know, makes it that the company ends up being more successful? Like, could a non-runner run the business the way that you do?
1: I I think a non-runner could, but it's been meaningful to me because. I absolutely fell in love and got addicted to running. And Patrick, my story is when when I, I quit playing competitive hockey after a little bit of college and, and I started running. So I was running three to five days a week for 40 years. And when I got to Brooks, I absolutely considered myself a runner. I was running three to five days a week, three to 10 miles. I'd, I'd run three marathons by that time. And, uh, and I just loved it. But it was personal. I almost always ran by myself. And I got slower every year. Um, it was meditation time for me. So yeah. this is funny. When I got to Brooks, I looked around. I said, whoa, I'm not a runner. These guys are so fast. And they're so competitive. And we, we talked about runners and people who run. So in, by designation, I was a person who run. But here's the truth. I'm a runner. I love it. It feeds me. It's a great sweat. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. And so, yeah, I think what, what it helped me to understand why running is such a unique sport because it is maybe the greatest original sport of all time, track and field cross country, the Olympics ultra trail. I mean, there's so much competition around this sport and it's, it is primal, I believe, but here's the key. Unlike almost any other sport, it transcends the sport. And becomes an investment in yourself, in health, wellness, fitness, it, it, in mental clarity. It just becomes an investment in yourself. So I think it's helped me that I understood that, you know, especially having been in the sporting goods world, where that enthusiast, pinnacle, elite athlete is the absolute end all. Running, that person is incredibly influential and inspiring, but running is way bigger than, than just that pinnacle podium athlete. And, and I understood that. So I think, I think that's given me an advantage, but, um, you know, cause I understood it. Um, but you don't have to be a runner. I don't think, but it makes more fun for sure. That's, oh, that, my that makes sense to me. <laughs> I, and I got, to, you know, in, in the apparel and footwear business, there's a sample size always for men's and women's and I just happen to be sample size. So I get to try every new product we've ever created. And really fun samples, prototypes, interesting colors. It's great to be sample size in a footwear and apparel company. FOMO, FOMO. All
0: right, so one of the things that I enjoyed reading about, and I think it's, you know, we mentioned Warren Buffett. And I have it when I was in business school, I had the chance, Warren Buffett's cool because he goes to the business schools and talks. And I think like, he's a busy guy. He's doing a lot of stuff. The fact he invests in young people like that is he'll take selfies with everybody. He's just a really generous person. And he's obviously a legend. And, you know, you were Brooks was part of Food of the Loom, which I I didn't know. And then, you know, he um, Warren Buffett allowed sort of asked you or you kind of convinced him to spin out Brooks to become an independent party within Berkshire Hathaway. And so I just want to I would love to hear. You know what you've learned from him, and maybe just a good story for the listeners because he is such an amazing person. Tell us something.
1: Yeah, he he really is, Patrick. His his business brain is so unique; it's in the category of life is not fair. He almost has the whole U.S. economy in his head, and he knows our business and our numbers well. And he's following hundreds and hundreds of businesses. So, and yet he's a people person. He's so generous. And he's so focused. So my, here's my story. The first meeting I had, he invited me to Omaha and, and I spent three hours with him. We had lunch and my goal was to have him fall in love with Brooks. And, Mm. and I just, I, I knew he would love this business and what we were building and how we were building it. Six months later, I'm with my family over the holidays, uh, down in the desert. And these are, this is, I think even in the, in, you know, I had obviously the iPhone days. So I was checking email, But I didn't have my voicemail links and I wasn't checking office voicemail so after a week away with my family I get into my office January 3rd Monday morning I'm in there early like 7am and that little red light on the old phones was blinking I got a voicemail Jim this is Warren give me a call I've got an idea his voicemail was five days old Patrick I just let a voicemail from Warren Buffett sit in my phone for five days I called and, and he answered the phone. Hello, Warren. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, he said, look, I, you you guys are footwear. Fruit is going to focus on apparel. You're doing well. You know, what? here's what we're going to do. We're going to spin you out, set you up as a standalone Berkshire subsidiary. Um, and, and I just think that's the way it should be because you guys are going to pursue your thing and they're going to pursue uh, their businesses. And I said, you know, Warren, I think that's a good idea. I'm on board. He said, good. From here on out, you know. I'm going to take credit for part of your success. It'll be fun. So it, it was just a wonderful outcome for Brooks and talk about a platform to do what we want to do in terms of building this brand and business. I it's the closest thing, Patrick, to owning the business um, in my view. And you, you were talking about it early on and the, you know, Brooks is, is got an entrepreneurial essence to it. And, and, you know, there's a difference between managing a brand and building a brand. You have to create new customers, and I think that's what entrepreneur uh, focus really is. It's about it's about creating new customers and solving for them uniquely, and that's what we've been doing at Brooks for two, 20 years. We're we're building a brand. So yeah, Warren's support. You know, I think the other thing that I would add is that his 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 um, base level focus is always on the customer. I went to him once and we had current the, the dollar was strengthening and our margins were getting crushed in Europe and other places. and I thought, okay, this is this is great because now I can call Warren Buffett. he's a financial genius. he's going to tell me all about how to manage through this currency and figure it out. And so I said, I took him through the whole thing and our profits are going to get hammered by this. And he said, Jim, you know what? I have no idea what's gonna happen in currencies and I don't spend any time thinking about it. You know, if I were you, uh, I would focus on your customer. If you focus on your customer, you're just gonna be fine. And next year, you're gonna make less money. That's just the way it is. You can't do anything about it. Focus on your customer. Priceless, right, Patrick? I mean, just priceless. Uh, The support we've had from from everyone at Berkshire, Warren Buffett, Greg Abel, and Charlie Munger. I I had a Zoom meeting with Charlie a couple months ago. He's 97 and he's sharp, you know, so it's a very unique company at Berkshire, but at Brooks, we, we think it's the best platform, uh, we could ever have to build our brand. Uh,
0: uh yeah, I just, uh, it's amazing to me. And the fact that, you know, the vision that he had in that case, you know, to, to put you out on your own and, and what's happened since is it's, it's a great story. Now I, I there is one thing I read that I did not like in your book. And I'm going to tell you, that you confessed that at the age of 55, you had only taken two work vacations in your life. What's up with that
1: ticket? Oh, <laughs> you know, one of the reasons I wrote this book and I started it six, seven years ago on my first four week mini sabbatical, mm. only twice in my life had I taken two weeks or more. And I, and I say, I'm not proud of that. And you know, so I took that mini sabbatical and I decided I was going to write four hours every morning. And, and really, I wanted to unpack my hardwiring and why I am who I am. And, and I, was, I, I was incredibly hardwired um, to be a successful business person. And, uh, and so obviously life is, is, is about relationships and enjoying the journey along the way with your friends and your family and, and just soaking in every day Moments and people—that's what life is all about. So, but I didn't know that. I would say at age thirty-five or forty, I didn't know it, Patrick. So I've become, I think, a healthier person uh, in the last two decades of my life. I'm I'm a better CEO. I'm a much better leader. I'm just—I think—I'm much more balanced. But I didn't. I was so hardwired coming out of you know uh, my my youth that uh, that's what I began to unpack. So. Uh, that four week vacation actually had a huge ROI for me. Um, and, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm definitely trying to create more balance in my life, but I, here's the truth. I love working in this role. I, I love it. I love the people. I love the business. I love the creativity of creating products and connecting it with customers and have them tell their friends about it or their family. I love what I'm doing. So you know, um, I'm balancing it though because life, you know, is to be enjoyed, and you know, it's about impact, but it's also about moments and relationships along the way.
0: You just teed me up again for, for my final question, which is this: You know, you've you've built a lot of things over time, and you know, you've had um, the experience of building a business. You've also been, you know, fought cancer, and so you've you've had that experience, which is you know, t- it's life as a teacher. And as you think about legacy you know, what, what, what do you view as, you know, the legacy that you want to impart to the world?
1: You know, interesting. I I think that, um, right now I, I want to be doing good work with people, uh, that I respect, um, and for the most part, enjoy being around, you know, there's always issues and problems. It's part of life, but I, I really want to do good work and, and have an impact and, you know, for my family, for my kids, for my, my wife, for my team here at Brooks, for all the all the other friends and, and uh, people in, in the ecosystem of my life. I just want to maximize that opportunity. And I think I think having an impact having impact and making a difference is super important to me. You know, I, 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 one of the scary things is I don't have a plan B to retire at this point. And I know, you know, as my as my work evolves, I'm always going to I'm always going to need to do something that's meaningful uh, in connection with other people, Patrick. So, you know, that's what I've learned. And when I got cancer, you know, I think when times get tough, you learn a lot about yourself. Right. You learn a lot about your values and your fears and and what makes you tick. And and what that cancer situation really taught me is um every day i was doing what i really wanted to be doing what i would choose to be doing i wasn't doing it i wasn't delaying anything that uh i really wanted to be doing and so it was helpful in that sense because it just brought clarity to you know each day what i want to do what i want to be and who i want to be around and so i feel very fortunate in that regard um but i think that's a good process for anyone you know and if you if you can move towards you know uh, things that give you energy, people that give you energy, a job that allows you to make a you know, an impact and a bit of difference depending on how you're wired. How how good is that? So I feel very fortunate. I really do. The book is
0: Running with Purpose, How Brooks Outpaced Goliath Competitors to Lead the Pack. And you can find out more about Jim at his website, jimweber.org. Jim Weber, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Patrick.